You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. spent a number of hours engrossed in various anime series, then you know that anime excels in certain genres. High school rom-coms notwithstanding, one of the most popular genres in anime is science fiction. Sometimes it's very subtle, and you may not even realize you're watching a science fiction film. And that's because a great many anime creators are experts at blurring the lines between genres. Sometimes this leads to instant classics, sometimes not so much. On this episode of Popcorn Ronin, we're going to discuss a couple of anime sci-fis. One a classic, the other a modern classic. Ghost in the Shell came out in 1995 and intrigued, shocked, and impressed audiences everywhere. To this day, it's one of the most iconic anime films of the 90s. The Girl Who Leapt Through Time released in 2006, and while its initial release was not that large, the reception was so overwhelmingly positive that it expanded across the globe and even won, among others, the Animation of the Year Award in the Japanese Academy Awards. Let's start with The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. One of the film's instant appeal factors is that it bears such a striking resemblance to a Miyazaki film. The art style, characters, character animations, not to mention a very interesting female protagonist all remind us of what makes Miyazaki such a brilliant filmmaker. What did you think of this film? I absolutely adored it. Like this is, I I hadn't seen it previously and this is probably one of the best anime movies I've seen in several years and I'm including Ghibli films in that. Yeah, it again, it does so many things right and right from the get-go as well. It's it's interesting once you actually do a little bit of research on it, or for and for anybody, I'm assuming whether you're in Japan or anywhere else where you'd be inclined to know that this is actually a somewhat of a sequel to a live-action movie from the 80s. There, it was based on a novel. The novel was written in 67. So we're looking at quite a while back now. Yeah, it's a pedigree. And it was turned into, and it was the same name, The Girl Who Loved Through Time, and it was turned into a live action movie in 83. The The book is actually on, and we'll get into more of, again, the what the, this anime is, but the the lead character, the girl in the anime, has an aunt that she turns to for advice, oh. and you don't realize until later that that aunt is actually the protagonist of the live action movie and uh, novel, which really makes me want to read that novel now to know what story is there, because I kind of got... I, I did a little research, and it talks about how she developed her ability to leap through time, which is completely different from Mikado in in the, the anime. But she also has a story of, of course, there's that romance option because these are very 
much kind of romance as well tossed in there. And this this the ant has this romance with someone who is much like this one from another time and her memory gets wiped. However, whenever she smells lavender, which was how it first started for her, she has this memory of someone that she'd fall in love with who had said who would come back to her. And that's the story that she tells in this anime. Once you kind of know that it adds this whole other spin to it. And I just found it so interesting that you got an anime sequel to a live action movie. I honestly don't know if that's ever been done before, if that's a common practice in Japan. That is fascinating because not knowing that just watching the anime film, it came off more as, you know, the aunt was just humoring her young niece and exactly. giving, giving her good advice and just assuming she was using the time travel as sort of a metaphor for her own feelings. But that is astonishing. So, no, that's exactly it. When you're watching, you're thinking, oh, she's just kind of humoring her because she's a kid or whatever. Even though it kind of goes into some things every once in a while, you're going, okay, maybe in this world, this is not as uncommon as <laughs> as it would be in our war- world. And then when you read this, it's like, holy crap, no, there's a, there's a whole other story there that is waiting to be read or, or watched. I'm going to dig around and see if there's a dubbed version of the either dubbed or or subbed version of that live action show it might not be very popular it might be hard to get my hands on same as that novel the novel for those who are interested is again the the girl who loved through time it was published in 67 and the art the the author is and bear with me of course yasutaka tsutsui so check it out. I'm going to be looking for it for sure because I'd love to read it and uh, and then watch this again to get a whole <laughs> lot more from it. So this is the story of a teenage girl who suddenly gets the ability to leap through time. She discovers a kind of a cryptic message on the blackboard and accidentally falls onto, onto something that looks like a walnut, which turns out to be this time travel device. This was one of those things where you go on, Okay, well, I've never seen this before, <laughs> so that's a pro. You took an an interesting approach here, but the con is a walnut. Really, <laughs> like what? How how is this? Somebody came up with this idea. So, and it's the one of those that, things that's ridiculous, and you're kind of like, oh, okay, whatever, but ultimately becomes meaningless because the movie succeeds on so many other fronts. Exactly, and it's not that it's bad. It's just that as it happens on the screen, you're going. So she fell on a walnut and she got the ability to go through time. <laughs> what the hell? And and you know it's not a walnut, it just looks like it. But I kind of thought that was a little bizarre. But again, it just it's one of those things you have to just okay, let it go. Just <laughs> this is gonna be some crazy Japanese shit. Just let it go, move on, enjoy the rest of the show. And then as she is heading home. Uh, she has a bike as as there's a lot of people, a lot more people who bike there. And so she gets her bike and she's heading home and she has this little kind of adventure thing there. She's heading home and she's, there's a very steep hill. And of course there has to be a freaking train that runs at the bottom of the hill and her brakes give out and she winds up dying. Only she gets shot back in time and because of the the falling action you don't it's it's not explained immediately but it's it's obvious that it has to do with 
jumping, which of course is also in the title of the movie. So you kind of figure it out. I kind of thought that was interesting again, because here's another, like you really don't see anything. Normally it's this cool little thing that you do with some electronic device or whatever, pass through a portal, not running off stairs (laughs) or, (laughs) or grassy knolls into the water, but it leads to all of these comedic moments too where she crashes into a room and you realize oh she just left your time yet again yeah it it was such a great running gag that for a movie that had so many serious themes that that those little bits of comedy really really had a strong effect yeah so this is about about the point where she does go to talk with her aunt uh her aunt's name is uh kazuko and She's talking to her, and again, if you don't know because you haven't had the, you haven't heard about the the novel or the the live action movie, you will probably think that the aunt is just humoring her niece with an overactive imagination. But now that you you know, when you listen, listen to the story that she tells, and it really takes on a whole new meaning. And also. The I actually listened to the dub version. I don't know about you if you listened to... I did the subtitles. Okay. I wanted to watch it more, too, to see everything. So, And actually, the dubbing was really well done. The, mm-hmm. the English dubbing was... I was really quite impressed with. But the ant's voice acting, when you go back and you listen, it's like, wow. She really did a really good job in portraying that kind of that that heartache based on memories that are, you know, you, you can't quite get a handle on them. It's, it's, it's that, that mist that you're trying to grab with your hands and you really feel that again, it was, I was really quite impressed with the voice acting, especially once I found that out and I went back and listened to that scene. Yeah, I can imagine like it came off fine in the, the Japanese version, but now knowing I, I do actually want to go back and watch those scenes again too. Yeah. So, the again the the lead character is Makato, and you come to find out that she is essentially best friends with a couple of guys, uh, Chiaki and Kosuke, and they spend all of their free time together. They're in some classes together. They go to play a lot of baseball at a field nearby together. They talk. They're very very open, and on the surface, it's platonic kind of thing, and you get the romance options coming up later on in the film but before that can happen as with any kind of time travel movie show the person who gets the ability has to start playing loosey-goosey with this and she's doing (laughs) all kinds of things from going back pudding was pretty important what's that that pudding was pretty important (laughs) the pudding and the karaoke yes (laughs) Yes. <laughs> 10 hours of karaoke. Yes, that was that was necessary. The going back for better grades, not to be late and, and, and all of these things. The pudding scene I liked because it gave you the perspective of her sister at that mm-hmm. point because she'd been mad at her for stealing it. And you find it. Oh, no, she was. They told her the parents told her she yes. had the damn pudding. <laughs> so and and you also get scenes with the sister in some of those leaps because Mikado's like trying to jump out of a window to jump, to leap back through time. Yes. And the sister's trying to save her life. And I thought that was pretty damn cute. No, don't do it. I'm sorry. I won't eat your pudding, <laughs> pudding anymore. <laughs> it's just a goddamn pudding. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you wind up with all of these, again, very typical kind of tropes that you see in any movie where they, they go back and forth loosey-goosey through time. But because of the character already this early in the story, she's such an interesting character that I, I know for me, I didn't mind seeing all mm-hmm. these things again. It was it was fun to see her having fun with this new ability and kind of figuring out different things. And those moments where she goes back and forth to talk to her aunt as well. There was there was a lot of stuff that while expected, because of the strength of the, the, the characters and the writing, was fantastic. Yeah, she's so likable and charismatic that you want her to keep making those jumps and you wanted to see her succeed in life by, by a factor of that. So that's why when the consequences start factoring in later, it's, it, it's like a turbulent ride. <laughs> yeah. So that's where the ant warns her that there are consequences. And just because you are getting ahead of the game because of this, somebody else is getting the misfortune otherwise, which is, of course, which you wind up seeing. Although dude with the freaking fire extinguisher there, that was a little psychotic. That's not your normal behavior. Yeah. Of course, it's pretty on par for anime shows, but, but yeah. I'd say it was subdued. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, you get to see a lot more of those, those moments where other people, bad things are happening to other people. Once she gets the handle of that, that's around the same time as she realizes she's only got a finite amount of, of leaps and because she's got this tattoo. Yet again, you don't really ask why or whatever, but she's got a tattoo on her arm that shows her. Initially, she doesn't realize what it is. Of course, you do as a viewer. And then later on, she realizes she's only got so many leaps. And But by the time she gets to to that she's done she's let through time so many times for to to kind of kind of like in a very bill murray-esque way of Mm -hmm. testing different things and whatnot is starting to use time what was funny i thought was at different points where because she's going back and forth like again all over the place it's not really defined exactly where she'll wind up you wind up where moments where she's like something that she fixed in another leap has reverted back yet again and then she has to wind up doing that again to fix it if she wants to or going it shows how it it's like again trying to to hold time as if it was water in your hand it's just going to come out and different things are going to happen and you basically have little to no control if something bad's going to happen it's bound to happen. Again, a trope that we've seen many times, but I like the way it was handled here. And more impressively for me is it was all logical. Yes. Like they, you can tell they planned out and factored in, okay, here's the jumps. Here's the events that are being changed. Here's the events that aren't being changed. At no point was it confusing. It made sense the whole way through. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then of course you have to have the moment where one of the, male friends is professing his love in a manner to her kind of thing. And again, very cutesy kind of anime reactions, but we care so much for the character at this point that once Mm -hmm. again, I was all right with it. A lot of times if I'm not all right with the character, I'll be like, ah, come on. And I'll roll my eyes. But 
I like this character so much that every time she leaps and she gets essentially the same kind of reaction to the point where she finally says, screw this and takes off on her own. It's it was fun and I liked it. I actually was feeling really bad for Chiaki in those scenes because <laughs> because in each recursion, he's going into it, you know, with the same attitude and the same seriousness and, you know, trying to vocalize his feelings. But with each recursion, she's reacting to it wildly differently. And seeing how he responds to her reactions each time through was uh, I felt really bad for the guy. <laughs> now, I didn't warn at the beginning because. This is episode 30. If you don't yet know there's going to be spoilers, shame on you. But really seriously, spoilers now. <laughs> We've done 30 of these? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. And uh, and so, yeah, big time spoiler here. And skip ahead a few minutes if you don't want to know what's going to be happening. When she is on the phone with him <laughs> and he asks her point blank if she's been leaping through time. Was there like a little kind of ripple effect at the the hairs in the back of your neck, or was it just me? No, I I, I concur. Okay, because <laughs> I was not expecting that. No, at all, and it was delivered so perfectly. Like not not creepy per se, but just because of the way the animation is done in that scene, where all of the attention is on her close-up of her face, her mouth, and the phone, and you hear that with very little noise anywhere else, it was shocking to me. (laughs) And I mean, this is a show filled with tropes and cliches that we've seen a million times, and yet this, which is somewhat like you should see this coming to a certain degree, but I just didn't, and it just was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and not not only that, but her reaction of yes. just stunned silence and then quietly closing the phone, it gives us as viewers time to let everything sink in and run through all the possibilities exactly. in our mind before the story picks back up again. It was it was very much a in the span of what little time you have before she leaps back again where you're like, what the hell's going on? What did we miss? Was there something along the way, some indication? And there, there isn't, there's no indication at all, which some might say, you know, it's, you didn't, you just pull this out of your ass and you could do that with any kind of thing. Well, but it makes sense again, because that walnut was his. So it makes sense kind of that, okay, well, he lost it and that's why. When you find out later about his plans and stuff like that, that's then it takes on a whole other meaning. But yet again, the, the leaping that she does so that he has that last one, all these little things, and finding out that their friends would have been hit by the train in one of the realities and all of these things, again, so bloody well done. It was one of the, the rare instances where the ending of a show, while it had a couple of little cheesy moments at the end, for the most part, really held up my expectations throughout the entire experience of watching the movie. And it wasn't just them going in, okay, we're going to tell a story. No, it was them going in and going, we're going to give these viewers characters that they like characters that they want to see be happy 
And then once we do that, then we're going to tell a story and the viewers will be so invested by that point. We can tell them anything we want and they'll go along with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, we're going to move on to Ghost in the Shell, but the obvious point here from both of us is this is kind of a must-see show if you're a fan of anime. Even if you're not a fan of typical anime, be it on TV or movies or whatever, but you like the Studio Ghibli stuff kind of thing, then watch this. With the exception of one comment that's made a couple of times about jerking off in the morning, it is very family-friendly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a little bit of violence, but nothing excessive kind of thing. You know, somebody takes a fire hydrant to the head. Okay, that's excessive, but, <laughs> but we're not talking but, but lost it's, but limbs. But it's not, you know, anime-style blood gushes exactly. and any of that. It's know? very family-friendly, again, with the exception of the one comment, which is fairly early in the show. And even that, I, the first time they say it, it's kind of hard to hear. I was like, did I hear that right? And then it comes up again later on, and you're like, oh, okay, whatever. But other than that, yeah, it's... Very family friendly and definitely, definitely, definitely watch it because it stays with you. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the important things about the show. I still keep thinking about it, even though we watched it well over a week ago. Yeah. I'm still running through different things. Like again, when you when you hear about um, Chiaki's reasoning for why he came back in time, there's a story there. Mm-hmm. There's a big freaking, there's a movie there. Why that painting? Why would someone go back in time to a very specific time when only during this time was this painting visible and everything else? And like, I've never heard of anything like that. Never heard of that as a reasoning. And so it's like, wow, there's, I want to know his story now. I want to know his side of it. Of this entire experience, yeah, it's this movie was phenomenal. Like I, for the past week and change, I've been super excited to have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, you got any parting thoughts, or are ready to move on? I, I think we've said everything that needs to be said. Okay, so let's move on to Ghost in the Shell. This was uh, this came out in 1995, and again, one of those movies that had an immediate impact. Now this is based on a franchise that was essentially a manga series. It's since gone into everything and it's almost always about this fictional cyber counter cyber terrorist organization called public section security section nine. And the team is led by a major Motoko Kusanagi. And it's, it's always meant I screwed that up. No, you got it. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Mid-21st century. And it's it's not exactly Tokyo. It's this other fictional city, but it's essentially kind of thing. The, the thing that's awesome about this series, as compared to The Girl Who Left Through Time, is how much it makes you think. Mm-hmm. In very different ways. This is a a movie that right from the get-go, the, you get all of these images of the, the Kusanagi being created because she's a cyborg. So you get the, 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 all of the, the process of her being created 
along with I be I believe that the the credits are rolling at the same time kind of thing yes. because it's very early. It's very 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 stylish, especially for the time. Oh, at at the time because I remember watching this when I was in high school on an old VHS tape. It was the most astonishing thing yeah. I'd ever seen. Yeah, yeah. And again, here is the thing: like, it's she's a female cyborg, but. There's no sexual organs, but there's you, the, you can't really call her female. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's based on a female model kind of thing. Mm. It's, a, it's a feminine styled cyborg. Well, it's full on breast and ass <laughs> yes. kind of thing, and you get a ton of that at the beginning. Now, again, I've one of the reasons it was so interesting. Yeah, to watch for in high school. Yeah, when you were a teenage boy. Yeah, for sure. But it's funny watching it as an adult again because you're watching it and. Again, I have a very, very low tolerance for stupidity when it's, you know, just being sleazy about women or things like that. I have a very low tolerance for that kind of crap. But I have nothing against showing it or the, the, the mm-hmm. female form or whatever. When it's done right, it's done right. That's, that's fantastic. It's beautiful. And this was one of those instances where the, the reaction – that happens within your brain as an adult male watching <laughs> this versus a kid is incredible because you see the juxtaposition of sexuality without the sexual organs and playing with this notion of these creatures, these cyborgs, which are not, which again, you're, you're, you're struggling with the idea of what is, what is life? If you're sentient, are you, are you alive? It goes right back to the the data and Star Trek days kind of thing, and so you're you're thinking all of these things, and then they throw in that 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 element of sexuality without sexuality, and especially if you hold on to those thoughts as you're watching the movie, because then you get to hear from the character of Puppet Master, who's talking about never being able to reproduce and never being able to pass on the legacy and all kinds of things like that. And it ties in so beautifully. And again, it makes you think throughout the entire movie. Yeah, like we've talked about our feelings with nudity in various art forms here over on the comic podcast, even in the gaming podcast. And I think the main difference that you see here with Ghost in the Shell is it's not fetishized. The nudity here isn't just for the purpose to excite the viewer. It has an actual role in the story and for setting things up and giving you a certain feeling. Like you said, like you react to it very differently knowing you know, what's going on in the inner workings there. It's, it's really fascinating that you – know, because I haven't seen this movie God, probably in – at least 15 years. So coming back to revisit it and I'm more mature and I can look at it from different angles. It's, it's actually been a pretty cool experience to watch this again. Yeah, definitely. I actually, I I watched it obviously a great many years ago, probably around when it first came out and I haven't watched it since either. And this time when I was watching it, I watched the, the girl who loved her time with both my wife and and my son. And (laughs) this one here, my wife had already gone to bed and I told my son, I said, well, I have to watch another one for the podcast. You want to watch it with me? Now, 
my son's 18. So he's not right. a kid anymore. But until you have kids, you may not realize that even if they're adults, you don't want to sit down and watch any movie that has sex scenes <laughs> with them. There's a level of discomfort there for everyone involved. doesn't matter if you know he's an adult now. That's fine. I, I can at least relate to it from his point of view. So. Yeah. So we're, we're sitting down watching this. And what's very telling, again, of the show is that at no point, especially at that beginning, because it's not that prevalent later on. There's a few shots here and there. But again, nothing glorified. It's just that beginning where it's like pretty much in your face. So when you're, you're when we were watching it, at no point did I feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and at no point did I think, "Ah, oh, crazy! This I shouldn't have watched this with him." Kind no, it was done in such a way. Now he probably didn't see it the same as I did, of course, because he's raging hormones, eighteen year old. But but the way that I saw it, it, it made me think throughout that entire process, because again, it's 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 such a different way of handling such a I don't want to say sensitive subject but you know something that if not done well will blow up in your face and this was done properly and then what you wind up with from that point on is this extremely strong female lead character throughout the story who again it's that it it it, it very much made me keep thinking about data in Star Trek because Mm -hmm. that's always the quote-unquote sentient cyborg at least that I think of there's a great many others and it all depends on what you watch growing up and things like that but I spent so many years watching the next generation in my teens that for me I think sentient being I always cyborg I always think of data and so it was funny throughout the movie also thinking about about this character Kusanagi and of her have making her own choices and living in a time where she's seen as a sentient life kind of thing. It was again, there were, there were moments throughout before they even got to anything having to do really with the puppet master that was exceptionally well scripted and, and directed. And it's it's cool because we've seen so many different iterations of this franchise over the years uh, with the, the not-quite-a-sequel movie. And more importantly for me was the standalone complex uh, TV series they did, which with Japan's different broadcast standards many years later, as well as you know being edited for a, a Western release, you didn't have a lot of that quite in-your-face stuff, and you had a lot more time to really tell a story. And the stuff they did with uh, Kutsunagi's character there and a lot of her outlook and having that more in-depth handle of her character in my mind, watching this again many years later, made the psychological factors in this much, much heavier. Hmm. I'm going to have to track that down. I never watched that. I highly recommend Standalone Complex. It's a good story. It's very stylish. And they really dive into a lot of the kind of cyborg sort of – society like there's multiple points like there's a huge chunk i think it's in the first season where i was convinced that the original kusanagi was actually a man and he put himself into a female body Hmm. just because of her attitude and like her you know her bravado and all that and they even kind of 
teased it at some points, but you find out by the end of the second season that's not true. But it's a very interesting way to look at it because why not? If the the only thing of Kusanagi that's left is part of her brain. So who's to say what she looked like when yeah. she was born? Yeah. Yeah. See, and that's the thing too. As you're watching this, they do such a good job with creating this world where it's believable that you have all of these people that have various cybernetic implants and different things like that. Like her, but to her, her partner has quite a bit of different cybernetics in him, but he's not from the ground up cybernetics in the same way as Kusanagi is, but you have all of these things. And I liked, I liked that, that, that team too, that, that public mm-hmm. security section team, which is why like this, what you're then talking you'll, about. You'll love exactly. Yeah. If it had a lot more time, it certainly would have been interesting because you have the two that have a lot more cybernetic implants. And then you have the guy who was just a cop kind of thing and that they they saw something in him that they could trust and that they wanted for the team and i liked her explanation of that too i i'm gonna have to try down that series then for sure because that pretty sure it's on netflix yeah that team interests me so much and i want so many more stories with them yeah and you you get that like there's each character has their own story arcs. Like there's focus episodes on Togusa, on Bato, on some of the super minor characters that were barely mentioned in the movie. So yeah, it, again, check it out. I will. Okay. So this one here, they're basically initially they're they're going after uh, a garbage man who's hacking phones and all that, and he's trying to they call it ghost hack his wife to get the location of their daughter because she took off with the, the their daughter and. So they're chasing after him and then you they go after somebody else's wealth too. And it's all – you're getting the the intro into what hacking does to a person kind of thing and whatnot, which then leads to the introduction of the, the, the puppet master and you find out – well, you don't find out everything right away. It's kind of as you would expect. They only tell you what you need to know for the time and keep it suspenseful throughout. There's another agency, another Section 6, which is a rival agency, and they tried to lure the puppet master into a body to, to trap it. And this female cyborg escaped, but then was hit by a truck and fairly badly mangled and then brought to Section 9 where they're investigating. And that's where you get... Um, Kusanagi saying that she's going to basically dive in, they call it, to read whatever's left in that body because that that ghost in the shell that they call it is that that part that is human that's in there. And they read that there is something like that potentially in this mangled up corpse, even though the puppet master was, you get the idea that it was supposed to be strictly kind of AI. Mm-hmm. Again, those scenes where you see that rival section coming in as well and and everything having to do with that mangled body, it made me think of like political suspense movies kind of thing. Right. And it was so bloody well done. I loved the characters. I loved all of the Section 6 guys and all that. And again, I don't know if that's something that comes up more in the animated series as well because I, I would love to see more of that oh, conflict you, you between get, the two. Not just those two, but pretty much any uh, – branch of the the japanese bureaucracy comes into it at some point or another all right how many seasons did it go on for uh it got two seasons 
Um, and then there was like a third little mini series that I actually still haven't seen. Hmm. Okay. Man. All right. From there now, you get – this is where it really gets interesting because you're getting they're, – they're, they, they basically break in to steal this body because they don't want anybody to know what's going on, they being Section 6. And Section 9 has to be diving in to try to get their hands on, on the, the body to get it back to figure out what is going on. And this is where all hell breaks loose too and you get – fantastic chase scenes you get the that spider tank vehicle thing <laughs> blowing crap up everywhere there was some great action scenes it's it, it built up so well because you have all of the the cerebral from the, the 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 thriller suspense aspects of the story and then you have this insane freaking action like when that spider tank thing is shooting out you're thinking like those are bigger than even 50 caliber rounds that it's <laughs> dropping like parts of the building are coming crashing down well one of the things i really liked uh, through the chase scene and the investigation is the way they handled technology you know the 1995 concept of the future while the interfaces are overwrought, and that's largely just a stylistic decision, the actual things they were doing with the technology, pretty much spot on yeah. for what we would come across by now, even not not to mention when the movie was set. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it's it's it was one of those where not everything is explained, obviously, but what is explained makes sense and it fits and you're willing to roll with it throughout mm -hmm. so the towards the end again here's a spoiler for anybody who wants to for anybody who hasn't seen a 20 year old mm -hmm. movie jump ahead whatever the 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 scene where Sonagi decides to mind meld in to chat with the, the puppet master who's explained a few things to her but not everything you kind of there's the the fighting against it with Batu and the the choppers and everything like that, but you get this really again. It was one of those same as with the other one where it wasn't disappointing. That end was so bloody cool, and it's not one personality fighting against the other for dominance or anything like that, but cohabitating the body and becoming something new and something better than what it was before, which kind of goes against the existing stereotype of that kind of, of partnership using the, the, the same body where you always have the, the, the angst and the fight of the dominant one and the, this and that, mm -hmm. whereas this was just a very peaceful cohabitation and becoming something new. And I really, really dug it, especially when you tossed in the, but two slamming her head on a kid's body because that's all he could get his hands on kind of thing. And it's just quirky and funny. But but everything else was very, very cool. I, I liked it a lot. A lot of the themes of this movie as far as you know identity and what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be alive? We even kind of discussed this this past week on Comic Book Informer with you know Ultron and AIs. A lot of the themes in this movie I've carried with me for the last 20 years. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of hard to give something more praise than that. that yeah, true. That all these years later, it's still affecting me. Yeah. The thing that struck me the most about it is 
very much like The Girl Who Left Through Time, is how much it makes you think long after you're done watching it. And that's why I chose these two films. Those are the two recent ones that I'd watched that it really got me thinking, not just as I'm watching it, but long after. And I love when a movie does that. And I love when a movie leaves just enough unwritten that makes you wonder about everything else with various other characters and whatnot. And both of these films deliver on that as well. The girl who led through time offering you both the novel as well as the live action to check out to get more. And then Ghost in the Shell, well, pff, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You can find out a lot. Did you actually watch the second, The Innocence? Yeah, I... I might want to go back and watch it because I innocence it was very very dry like there's it's pretty much a 2 hour police investigation so I I I might want to watch it again now that I'm you know a little older and yeah it, it wasn't what I was expecting at the time, but I think I deserve to give it a check and t- second chance and not judge it on any preconceptions. And for those who are interested, myself included, what was the name of the series again? Standalone Complex. Okay. so And then the second season was Standalone Complex Second Gig. Okay. And then the mini series afterward was called Arise. Excellent. What they actually did, um, they took the first two seasons and like edited and did a lot of stuff and took just like the main storyline out of both of them and turned them into two movies. Hmm. If you just want to get like a, like just that main story, but you're missing out on a lot of the cool character development stuff. Right. I definitely will be checking them out because mm-hmm. again, these characters stayed with me and I want to know more about them. So, well, to give a teaser for an upcoming episode, then on that same note, I saw ex machina yesterday. Yes. I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> Well, there is our segue and our ending because on our next episode, we will be talking about a couple of, yet again, cyborg robot kind of movies with Chappie and Ex Machina. So that is awesome. Thank you for joining us. you have any parting statements on either of these shows? I think just to say Ghost in the Shell is a good example of you can't judge something by its cover. And because on the surface, what I appreciated it for years ago isn't yeah. the same thing I appreciate it for now. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. And it's certainly not a movie to watch with kids, but it is a movie that one of the most telling things is, again, and it's going to sound somewhat ridiculous, but if you've been married a number of years, a couple of decades, maybe you might understand if I'm watching an anime kind of thing and there's the stupid kind of sexist thing that you see with mm-hmm. shots of cleavage and, and whatnot, or, or even more. And my wife happens to walk, walk beside, I will be like groaning saying, don't even ask. I don't want to just, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this was going to be the case, but had she for this, none of that, I would have even gone to great lengths to explain how, awesome the scene was when you broke it down for what it was trying to convey and that's kind of telling for me at least Mm -hmm. so that's going to wrap it for this episode like i said we're going to have a fantastic yet again another cyborg related discussion for our next episode make sure to check it out at popcornronin.com and you can find us on twitter if you want to give us any thoughts or comments on these episodes i am zen buddhist on twitter and vince is simodian and with that we'll see you in a couple of weeks 
more TV, movie, and anime reviews, please make certain to stop by popcornronin.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their Comic Book Informer podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Mm-hmm.